by the light switch Who watches over you Make a little birdhouse in your soul Not to put too fine a point on it Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet Make a little birdhouse in your soul Hello and welcome to Jays from Home, a podcast about the Toronto Blue Jays hosted by two brothers, uh, myself, Steve. And myself, Matt. Our last names, coincidentally, are both Gower, so there you go. Yes. That's why we're brothers. Yes. That's the and, primary reason. And uh, you can find us on uh, on Twitter at Jays from Home, uh, as well as uh, Mastodon, same name, Jays from Home. Yeah, and I actually, I also just uh, launched uh, a Substack newsletter um we'll link to it in the in the show notes because it's kind of a long title it's matt gower's brain on baseball.substack.com but you can subscribe there as well um basically it's just me talking about baseball (laughs) i'll I'll like watch a game and then i'll kind of give my thoughts but also kind of tie it into to kind of what is going on in my life like on on friday i i i released one that uh you know i watched a uh an old blue jays game kind of on silent while i was on the treadmill so kind of i th- that sort of thing but uh silent i i, I hope you were listening to something else at the same yeah time. i i was i was listening to a baseball podcast so it, it, i was surrounded by 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 baseball but uh yeah it uh i see Okay, sorry, we just had some technical difficulties there, but we we fixed the microphone. It was it was a cool setting because you're starting to sound like a robot, but uh, I think that it makes it kind of hard to understand what you're what you're trying to convey. Well, I'm I'm not in my home uh, studio setup, so I'm using a different microphone. For some reason, it uh, seems to be picking up interference. But um, I, I guess uh, we'll, we'll get to it later. But we have uh, we had a special guest uh, that we interviewed earlier this morning. Yeah, Evan Drellick. That was a really great talk. And and it was really um just his book, Winning Fixes Everything, was was is is a really great baseball read. But it's like he said in the interview, it's more than a baseball read. It's it's about yes. business culture and, and yeah. how it how it influences things like baseball. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, why don't we just get into things since we don't want to uh, make this uh, another hour and a half episode like no. we uh, had uh not the last time we had an interview. Um, let's uh, let's get to our uh, strikeouts, no decision, and home runs. I'll I'll start out with mine because I actually had all three filled out for this week. Uh, yes, surprisingly yes, you, enough, you did you did your homework. Um, my strikeout um, is that uh, I, the Blue Jays should not have a player named Zach Britton in their system if he's not a major leaguer. Uh, and I, I see you noted that he has a different spelling of his first name, but uh, it's it can be very confusing if you if you see that uh, just really quickly that oh the Blue Jays have Zach Britton. Yes, I I I, I get your point there. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little heavier with with my with my strikeout though. Um, in Duval County, Florida, it's they've been famously uh, banning books and mostly it's just kind of progressive books books by african-american authors about african-americans some like you know lgbtq things like that um and the baseball side of this uh, is that they've banned books children's books about hank aaron jackie robinson and roberto clemente um and that's a huge strikeout and it's it's black history month like there's there's this you know um these these key influential figures in baseball's history should be should be magnified and focused on instead of trying to have their histories erased by by ignorant uh lawmakers in in florida so that's my that's my that's a pretty big strikeout that's my large strikeout for, for yeah. 
And you'll notice that we're back. We had another. We've we've, we've decided to to get rid of Steve's droidy microphone, and we're gonna just go with the with the with the room mic. So Steve's sounding different all of a sudden. So Steve, what's your what's your uh, no decision? Um, well, uh, it's, I, I'm gonna combine this one uh, with my home run. It's it's the Bobichet deal. Um, the no decision part of it is that the, I'm I'm very happy that they got a deal done and they didn't go through arbitration. And we'll talk about the deal in a little bit. Uh, but uh, the no decision here is is about fan reaction because it seems to be that fans have the general um, narrative that uh, Bo Bichette and the head office don't uh, are at odds with each other. Um, and uh, and that's I don't think that's the case. But unfortunately, I think this deal is. Well, it's it's good in that they don't have to go to arbitration over the next three years. Um, it's not going to quiet those uh, those opinions because um, people are still going to say, "Well, he didn't extend past uh, past the three years, so he's he's still not uh, he's still not happy with the front office." I I think that 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 Jays fans, especially on Twitter, just they 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 want to have it both ways. They want to they want him to sign, but they they they, they want to find something negative about Bo Bichette, and it's 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 kind of uh, not a fair uh, assumption to make about about his intentions with the contract. So it's it's it's, it's frustrating to be on on Twitter uh, when when pe- people are kind of piling onto Bo Bichette unfairly. Yes, for sure. So what's the, what's your no decision? Uh, my no decision is the Jays' uh, farm system. It's kind of been low on the on kind of the middle to the lower half of uh, MLB rankings in generals in general. Um, and you know Keith Law ranked them number seventeen. Other other uh, uh, other other people have ranked them a little lower. Um, and but it's kind of a necessary kind of ranking because they've they've needed to use their prospects to to you know make trades and, and things like that so that's why it's my no decision because they're just kind of in the middle you you want them to be in a better position like you know like your your atlanta or baltimore teams like that um uh and it's, it's just a matter of, of 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 just waiting a while but you know and and right now the jays only have one prospect in their top 100 ricky tiedemann uh, or elvis martinez kind of dropped out of the top 100 um on on all the lists so you know you want to you want to you want to be excited about about the future a little bit more but uh you understand kind of the necessary uh uh evil of having to trade away some of that future to get uh success yeah, on yeah. the field and and also uh, we said before it graduates to the major league level too a little bit so yeah that's part um, that's partly the reason that some some of the the prospects have also graduated to to, to the majors yeah. um so my home run, as I alluded to, is the Bobichette deal. Um, uh, the, you have some of the details here. It's, it's a three-year deal, so avoids arbitration this year, next year, and the following year. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it says $33.6 million guaranteed for three years um, and could make as much uh, up to as much as $40.65 million. I guess there's like bonuses or whatever in there. Bonuses. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> home run because uh, well, this is the the arbitration part is something that I've never really paid much attention to in in baseball, like in deals. I just sort of see, well, he signed or he didn't sign. It would have been it him. would have been an interesting so. case, Bobichet, though, because he doesn't like he doesn't really have a lot of comparable players to to him as far as like they like there's a, the. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, Rosenthal lists Raphael Devers, Josh Donaldson, Manny Machado, Trevor Story. Like it's it's just you know like 
it would have been really interesting to see what happened uh, in the arbitration case. And I'm glad, like you said, I'm glad they didn't go that way, but it would have been yeah. interesting. For sure. uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, having not paid attention before and now kind of like paying a little closer attention, it's uh, nice to to have to not worry about a player going through arbitration every year and figuring yeah. out, uh, you know, all the drama around that. Exactly. And and um, in Andrew Sorton's latest newsletter, he said, now the Jays can focus on finding common common ground on an extension rather than gearing up for arbitration hearings every year. So hopefully that'll lead to, to an extension. Um, and finally, my my home run is uh, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. They inducted four new members, uh, former Blue Jay Jesse Barfield uh, and, and some Canadians as well. Uh, he used to pitch for the Montreal Expos, Denis Boucher, uh, Rich Harden as well. And then uh, Joe, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Wichar? Wowchar? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. He's, he's I guess, a, a coach uh, or a, like a, a kind of a builder in, uh, in, I think, Manitoba, I think it was, or Saskatchewan. I see. And uh, looks like induction day, June 17th for the class of 2020, I guess, put off because of COVID. Yeah, 2020 and 2023 together. So we'll see uh, John Olerud uh, get honored as well as uh, legendary announcer uh, Jacques Doucette. So so nice to see. Cool. All right. Well, um, you know, we talked about Bo Bichette. So it ties in very well with uh, our weekly poll this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so what, yeah. why don't you start it off here? What do we? What was the poll? Uh, will the Blue Jays assign Bobichet to a contract extension past the three-year term they agreed to, or will he test the market as an unrestricted free agent when the deal expires? So the, the choices were yes, no, or he'll resign either way. Um, and so in you, 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 this got put out on unmasked on as well, and the, the majority yeah. of, of people said that. Um, no, he's not going to resign. Yeah, this, uh, this is the vast majority. Yeah, I didn't do the math to add all the votes together on both Twitter and Mastodon, but both uh, majority winner was no. I voted no. You voted um, no? I think whether or not he signs with another team or signs again with the Blue Jays, um, I, I think he's going to go to the free agent market. Um, yeah. He, he That doesn't mean he won't sign with the Blue Jays. Right after this deal but i just i don't think that there's an extension in the works no um yeah and i i just hope yeah i i i, I tweeted this out i just hope that he kind of he resigns with with the blue jays and and they and if he does they'll they'll pay him what he's worth and and and, and i i hope to see that but it's 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 uh hard to, to to see him not testing the free agency market it really feels like we're headed towards that and that's that's his that's his right as a player that's what he earned that's what mm -hmm. he, he's going to earn for six years of service time with the blue jays and playing playing you know really well and deserving every every dollar that he earns yeah, for sure. And I, I see that uh, there were actually some votes that were optimistic that uh, mm -hmm. either way he will resign. Or well, you yes, know, we'll you know what? You know what? You're you're right. I wasn't even doing the math properly here. Um, we we were we did math wrong. We were we were leaning negative. Where where if you if you take the the he'll resign and the yeses that actually outweighs the noes. So so <laughs> I guess it's just so. that 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 blue highlight. Uh, result uh wins out but we have to take in the yeses and the heel resign so so let's let's rewind he so looks like jay's fans are, are are relatively positive so that 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 kind of refocuses and and, and reframes the the question so that's good okay um and, and, and we've established that we don't do math very well in this podcast. <laughs> uh well 
uh, speaking of signings, though, um, we had a, a reliever signed with the Blue Jays, Chad Green, uh, two years, eight and a half million dollars. Yeah, and he underwent Tommy John surgery surgery uh, in june so he'll be back in the second half of the season um it's a really complicated deal because it's it's you know just two years 8.5 million dollars but um this is from caitlin mcgrath's article in the athletic the first year of the deal is worth 2.25 million which is straightforward enough but the remainder of the contract is more complicated after the first year's year the jays can exercise an option uh to cover three seasons worth reportedly $27 million. If the club declines its option, Green automatically gets a player option for the second year worth $6.25 million, so he can decide to, to stay with the Jays. However, if the Jays decline the club option and Green declines the player option, another possibility emerges. The Blue Jays would be granted a club option that, if exercises, would, would be two years worth $21 million. So it sounds very complicated it sounds like a, a choose your own adventure contract really oh yeah i remember seeing there was a lot of uh, flow charts created on twitter a lot of moving pieces um here's yeah. a little just a kind of an addendum from caitlin mcgrath here the deal will require toronto to make a decision on locking up green for what amounts to a four-year deal worth 30 million dollars uh based on two months of of action uh when he when he comes back from the tommy john surgery so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they go but really it is definitely a choose your own adventure contract uh here for the jays it's a a good way to put it um (laughs) so uh another signing was just a minor league deal for luke bard i'm not really familiar with uh with him and i didn't hear that on the rays uh i think before but yeah minor league deal with a with a spring training invite so it just some some relieving relief pitching depth which every team needs yeah um okay well what we got up next well we got the spring speaking of spring training we got the non-roster invitees so we got zach Britton, we were talked about uh jimmy burnett phil clark lots of people i'm just looking through the list there's uh Sam Reverse, he's he's a, a Dutch guy. Ricky Tiedemann, those are some of the the young young prospects. Lot, lots of uh, Bowden Francis, he he could make the the uh, the big club this year. So so just uh, lots of pitching uh, uh, non roster invitees here. So so very interesting. Yeah, I see that. Lots of pitching. Yep. Um, and so here we have a an Aurelvis Martinez update from Keith Law. He fell from last year's ranking of 44 off the list. But basically, I think he's 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 saying that the reason why he kind of fell off the list was that I think he's uh striking out too much. He still has power but uh and and he has good defense, but uh he's just he's just striking out too too much. Ah, uh, okay. So, oh, uh there's always room for improvement, I guess. Um Yeah, and here's something that you were on top of the the, the broadcast <laughs> yeah. team was 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 released. Yeah, so Dan Shulman is on all the games for play-by-play, um, but it, uh, this is for TV. Um, Buck Martinez and Joe Siddle are going to be splitting uh, the job between uh, uh, between games for analysts, I guess probably depending on what the series are and, and uh, how much Buck is uh, interested in doing. Um and continuing on the TV side, so Jamie Campbell is still going to host, and and then when Buck is doing the analyst uh, job, Joe Siddle will be uh, beside Jamie, and then when Joe is doing it, it'll be Caleb Joseph, who apparently mm-hmm. is 
been pretty popular um and on the field hazel may will uh, still be there but this is a, an interesting one uh instead of arash madani we have arden dwelling doing the on-field reporting so that's a that's an interesting change and hopefully uh it's it's a good one and yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the co-hosts of the at the letter podcast and yeah. he has a lot of, of great insights about the blue Jays. so it'll be really exciting to 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 hear his take on 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 the goings on on field yeah, for sure. And Ben Wagner continues on the radio play-by-play, which, by the way, is for the first time available um, <clears throat> on Sportsnet.ca or the Sportsnet app, which uh, previously it was only available on like MLB or uh, SiriusXM. Yeah, and I think you had to like pay for the subscription to get the MLB uh, feed for that. So that's that's great that that people will be able to listen online because I I. <sighs> Usually um, during the season, we re- we record these on Sundays and Sunday that we're recording today. I usually kind of listen to the Sunday games um, with the radio feed, so so uh, it's it's nice to have just a different perspective of the game as a as a as a viewer and consumer of baseball. Yeah, and just really quickly, uh, I believe all of the spring training games are going to be on Sportsnet, um, and yes. yeah, in the in the radio broadcast, there's a mix of. Uh, pure radio broadcasts and tv simulcasts on the radio so mm-hmm. that's just for spring training though the regular season will be the full radio broadcast right um and so just shifting to to news around the league we had some players um signing extensions uh with their teams uh you darvish agreed to a six-year 108 million dollar extension interesting that he's kind of in his mid-30s uh, i was so gonna say it's a name i haven't heard in a while well, he he's he's still he's still an effective pitcher, good pitcher, but he signed a six-year, hundred and eight million dollar extension. I guess Padres still have money. Um, Astros, who we are talking a lot a lot about with uh, Evan Drellick on this podcast, they signed um, Christian Javier to a five-year, sixty-four million dollar extension. I think I saw a tweet from them saying that they signed him as a uh, an international free agent for something like like ten thousand dollars as an eighteen-year-old, and now he's kind of cashing in uh, with that extension. Um, the Royals resigned Zach Granke. Uh, so that, that that's as far as like the player transaction goes. And uh, Carlos Beltran, speaking of former Astros, uh, he was hired as the uh, a baseball operations assistant with the Mets. So he's back uh, in baseball after. Yeah, he he was uh, at before he was let go. He was uh, the manager for the Mets. Right? He was the manager, but never right. managed a game. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, and um. There's a note here, uh, not a player signing, but uh, you sent this to me that pitchers, um, they're testing in spring training. They're they're going to make some changes to uh, PitchCon to allow pitchers to call their own pitches. Uh, yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and and I, I was I was telling you uh, uh, offline about this. You know, like I, I think that it's I don't think that it's going to be widespread because you know for for since the beginning of baseball catchers have been calling pitches but you know there there is going to be a small group of of select pitchers who will want to i think call their own pitches so it'll be interesting to see how how it works out um and i think also like if they really want to like force their way um you know the, the, we have the pitch clock so there, there there will be a time limit but if they really want to like get a pitch called they'll maybe they'll they'll just go to their device on their wrist and, well, that's, and what, that'll that's be what i was wondering if yeah. uh if maybe um if in order to kind of get a little bit more time to to deliver their pitch they make a their selection very quickly and then they can have a little bit of extra time 
exactly. Well, there's not going to be a ton of extra time with that uh, pitch clock. I think it's 18 seconds with uh, runners on base and 15 when there's no runners on base. So, so it'll still have to be there. Have to be a certain sense of urgency. Um, now tonight is is Super Bowl Sunday. I will not be watching the Super Bowl. Um, no, I've kind neither. of fallen off football these days. But um, the last active pro athlete drafted by the Montreal Expos has announced his retirement. And do you know who this is? Speaking of Super Bowl Sunday? No. Is it uh, Tom Brady? It is Tom Brady. Tom Brady <laughs> announced his retirement last week. I, 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 he also announced his retirement last year. So we'll see if it sticks. But he was the last active pro athlete in any sport drafted by the Montreal Expos. So he announced so his retirement last week. Clearly, he didn't stick with baseball. <laughs> nope nope he did not now uh and finally um you know I, I mentioned it's it's black history month in february um and this is a really awesome uh addition to mlb the show it was announced that the negro leagues are coming to mlb the show so the gamers will be able to play as historical uh, players from negro leagues and follow their journey featuring career highlights and video clips eight negro league players will be available to choose from at launch uh with more expected to be added the season one roster includes martin dehigo John Donaldson, Rube Foster, Buck O'Neill, Satchel Page, Jackie Robinson, Hilton Smith, and Hank Thompson. So that'll that'll be fun to play. I'm I'm looking forward to to, to getting the the new version of yeah. Uh, and well. this is the kind of thing that they can do now with games having a lot of um, digital portions to them. Like yeah, it's not just on uh, on a disc now where they're limited with space to what they can do. So that's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's 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 a great uh, long waited long awaited addition to the game so that's that, that's great to see um all right so we're, we're we're getting there um pitchers and catchers uh are going to report next week february 16th and that's a key date because you know pitchers and catchers report it's also uh our anniversary krista and i are our wedding anniversary so so that's an important day for two reasons um and finally we have uh the wbc update um they officially announced rosters uh, earlier this week, and Canada announced their team. It's 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 going to so, be a so, fun team to watch. Yeah, so so Vlad decided not to play for Team Canada. I see. He decided not to play for Team Canada. He decided to go uh, to the strength strength uh, of Dominican Republic. That's going to be a really fun team to watch. But there are some some key interesting players. Joey Votto is not going to be on the on Team Canada, but uh, we have uh, pitcher Nick Pavetta. Bo Naylor uh, is going to be a catcher. Freddie Freeman, uh, former MVP first baseman. Uh, who else? Tyler O'Neill in the outfield is gonna is gonna uh, be a, a key player. Cal Contrell is gonna be another another good pitcher to to watch out for. Um, John Axford's gonna be in the bullpen. He was retired up until recently, so that'll be pretty interesting to see. So, um, you know, I think realistically speaking, Team Canada is not a favorite in the tournament, but they'll be <laughs> fun to watch nonetheless. Yeah, um, and there's uh, lots of Blue Jays scattered all over the the teams. Uh, we mentioned. Uh, Vlad Jr. on for the Dominican Republic and Jimmy uh, Garcia, oh, sorry Jimmy Garcia as well on yes. on, on, the, on the DR. Yeah, um, Jose Barrios for Puerto Rico, yep. Kirk for Mexico. Um, there's a couple on Canada, uh, although I think they're minor league players. Yeah, exactly. Minor, minor leaguers like yeah, and, and uh, Otto Lopez. You you might see him on the on on the Jays. If, if, well, hopefully we won't see him on the Jays because that might mean injuries are happening. Um. Uh. So yeah, and Damiano Palmigiani. Um. So he he plays in the minors as well. Minors as well. And on Team Israel, uh, Spencer Spencer Horwitz, uh, who plays in the minor league system as well. 
Interesting. And I see that uh, I didn't see this before, but uh, Jordan Romano withdrew from Team Italy, I, uh, but not to play for Canada. No, no, I guess because he uh, he made Team Italy on a previous tournament. Uh, so, but yeah, he, he's withdrawing from the tournament. I guess maybe just to focus on 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 the season and uh, Carlos Correa as well, uh, withdrawing from Team Puerto Rico uh, because his he has a, another, his second baby due the first week of the tournament plus the twins. Um, this is a quote from the twins: They don't want Correa <laughs> juggling family and WBC. So basically, they're saying don't maybe injury, injuring himself. Yeah, don't injure your ankle before starting with the with the, <laughs> the twins season yeah. this year. Okay, um, wow, that's uh, that's quite a bit of stuff to to get through. Um, I I don't know if I'm going to watch all of the World Baseball Classic, but uh, depending on what the what the schedule looks like, but uh, would like to at least get at least one Team Canada game in there to be able yeah. to watch that well hopefully it won't be too late of a night because they're playing in arizona but yeah um so yeah now let's let's uh throw to our interview with with evan drellick uh it's, like i said it was a really fun talk so uh here we go All right, we are here with Evan Drellick. Um, he has a new book out called Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sport's Biggest Mess. Thanks so much for, for being here, Evan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now, now this offseason um, for you has been pretty different compared to last year's. Now, this year you're promoting a book. Last year you were reporting widely on the owner's lockout. How has, how has this year compared to last? Yeah, you know, the lockout... I think contributed a little bit to the delay of the book. I would have liked the book to have come out a little sooner, but the the lockout took up so much time and attention. I mean, really for a lot of people in the sport, but certainly for me, because I was, you know, that was my, that's my beat. I, I had to cover mm -hmm. that. And uh, I tried to cover it as thoroughly as I could. Um, I think in the end, the book is actually coming out at a, at a, at a great time. You know, the, the, the earliest it probably would have come out would have been maybe maybe the fall, you know, late in the season last year. Uh, but, I, but I actually think this, this works out well. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's from my day job perspective, it's not the worst thing not to be embroiled in uh, a really long and extended controversy, which is really what the lockout was. It was, you know, a lot of contentious reporting and, and that's frankly draining. And, by the way, the book is a lot of contentious reporting, and so it's just it's been <laughs> yes. a lot of that for for me in the last few years. But you know, I, <laughs> this is the path I've chosen. So, right, right. Well, I'm digging into the book. Um, like, I you know that that's the the main the main look at it was to um, the group of outsiders coming in to run a team and and disrupting things. Uh, would you say? MLB was uh, a little bit naive in thinking that a team of out, uh, built of outsiders would operate within the boundaries of the rules. I, I don't think you want to paint outsiders with a broad brush as outsiders are bad. Outsiders are evil. You know, I think it's good that the sport basically allowed access and entry for new voices, right? Whatever industry you're in, you, 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 I think typically would want to see conventional entry points like expanded, you know, I mean, even in journalism in the last decade or two, 
it used to be like to become a team beat writer you 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 had a very kind of set path you know you start lower level newspaper and, and and that's kind of disintegrated and and that's been good because you get different perspectives there's probably a little bit of something lost in some cases where you know people might not necessarily have the fundamental reporting training of the past but you know overall net positive you have different voices that previously wouldn't have gotten opportunities i think mle was certainly naive in its implementation of video you know the the video replay rooms are put in place in 2014 this is the year that's the final season under bud Selig. manfred takes over and you know he puts out this letter to fans it's a pr statement basically uh right when he takes over but you know one of the things he's trumpeting is how technology and replay are, are gonna you know contribute to the game and the irony is that manfred was the point person for mlb on peds you know he, he understood how the nature of players how cheating arises and you know somehow despite his and mlb's experience with peds they didn't look at uh what was going to happen if you gave players and staffs the, these video tools um and you know and then as far as like the front office culture stuff goes with outsiders you know jeff luno and jim crane were, were very specific outsiders that they you know you can imagine outsiders who, who don't come in and um and who aren't as hell-bent on bottom line results who maybe plan a little better for other considerations besides wins and profits and you know that was really what did the astros in was the single-minded focus on those things mm -hmm. um now but heading towards the the the, the sign stealing in specific how widespread was stealing signs amongst other teams other than the Astros? You mean electronic sign stealing? Um, yeah. Well, look, we know the Red Sox and Yankees were punished for behavior 2017 and, and earlier. So, you know, the Yankees are, are one of the earliest examples we have of it. The book reports that the Dodgers were using a base runner system, which is the same thing the Red Sox and Yankees were doing and Red Sox were doing in 18 as well. Um, what what is generally my reporting and people I talk to believe that the veteran contending teams in that period 15 16 17 18 maybe bleeding into 19 before MLB's really kind of cracking down they, they they 19 is the first year they're more aggressive with actually policing it not perfectly but but they're more aggressive um but probably there were you know a, a collection of teams I don't think every team uh, but veteran contending teams that were using their video rooms to get signs to the dugout to then get those signs to a runner on second base. And that's what we call the base runner system. The Astros um, took that a step further or multiple steps further, depending on how you want to look at it, right? They, they were using that base runner system on the road in 2017, but at home, you didn't need a runner on base. This was entirely an off the field cheating scheme where the footage from center field went directly to a monitor in the tunnel and from there you directly communicated with the hitter you weren't even feigning uh the contributions of a runner on base which at least gives you you know you can argue about how much uh, worse or 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 not it is um and if somebody wants to take a stance that look any cheating is cheating i you know i i think you you're you're within your rights to take that stance but the short answer is 
we know, I mean, look, teams have been punished. We know that other teams were doing the base runner system. I do not think it's, I think it's very easy for people to be like, oh, everybody was doing it. Really? Okay. Well, you know, go get that evidence. Go get the firsthand accounts of everybody doing it. I, I, I don't think that's right. I think it's right that there were some teams that were doing the base runner system. Um, but what we don't have are any firsthand accounts, any firm reporting that anybody was doing anything to the level the Astros were. And, you know, that's why I think the Astros stand out to everybody. You know, A, they won a World Series that year, but B, the the scheme they were undertaking was evolved from what some other teams were doing. Right on. Um, and I mean, we know from your book that there was a lot of involvement in in the the way that the Astros were implementing this. But um, should Jim Crane specifically, um, should he have been aware of the Astros cheating? I, I think particularly owners would have, you know, you can imagine some owners being very hands on. You can imagine some owners being more removed. Um, you know, Jim Crane in those in the early years of the Astros really did let Jeff Luno kind of run it. Uh, it's not that he wasn't involved. He certainly was aware of major acquisitions, major expenditures. Um, he got involved when some scandals cropped up, but the uh, Brady Aiken scandal, you know, the Astros draft pick, they didn't sign. Crane basically commands Luno to to make a, a final day offer, an increased offer. Um you know, I, I think there's more plausible de deniability that an owner would not, you know, owners are, are sometimes around the team, but they're not always in the uh, clubhouse, you know, that, that that an owner is simply more removed than a general manager is. And so, yeah, do I think it is it is entirely possible that Jim Crane did not know the Astros were cheating? Sure. It, it is theoretically plausible that he did not. Now, in a way, I'm not sure that question is, I don't know if it's a key question because I, it, it, it comes back to the culture and environment that Crane and Luno builds and that Crane allowed Luno to build. Um, so, you know, I, I say that an owner might not necessarily know. I don't say that to say that nobody should be um, necessarily excusing Crane in this. And I think it's quite notable that even before Crane got to uh, – Houston, even before he owned a baseball team, he his outside businesses had major culture scandals. There was war profiteering charges, sent people to federal prison. There were there was a a, a large discrimination lawsuit brought against his company that was settled. Um, and Crane is always denied in all of those instances any involvement, any knowledge. I think at some point when you have an, a a leader of a business, an owner of a, of, of a business. And you have these three major scandals uh, befall them. You know, you start to sit back and go, "Huh, wonder what, what's this guy doing with his culture? How is he running things? How is it that his three businesses just um, just happen to keep running into major issues?" Uh, you know, I think that's a question people need to ask. Definitely, definitely. Now, I want to kind of go back a little bit to the you, you mentioned the the, the early days uh, with Jeff Luno. Um, did Crane's confidence in Jeff Luno ever uh, waver early on when they were losing so many games? You know, Crane always stood by him publicly when I was reporting on. It's really kind of the first story looking at how people were perceiving their culture in 2014. 
you know, Crane, uh, he basically threatens my access, you know, and, and defends Luno. You know, one of the chapters in the book is called The Coup. It's also about 2014. And it describes, um, you know, a lot of people in the Astros front office were under the impression that the manager, Bo Porter, and the team's president of, of the business side, Reed Ryan, son of Nolan Ryan, um, were trying to get Luno ousted. And, you know, the story that the people on the inner circle tell is that Jeff actually at one point thought he was going to get fired. And then it turns out that Jim Crane was calling a meeting with Jeff to tell him what had happened and that, you know, he's safe and uh, Porter ends up being fired, right? The manager ends up being fired and um, it sets off a period where Luno and, and the president, Reed Ryan, are, are uh, not simpatico. They, ne they never got, got along very well. Um, so. You know, whether Jim Crane at any point was wondering, oh, did I really do the right thing here? Or, are we, you know, we're we really going uh, in directions we shouldn't. I mean, there is that incident with Brady Aiken where, where, where Crane steps in and says, you know, we need to up this offer. The Astros had been very public about their innovation, right? There was that famous Sports Illustrated story in 27, in 2014. George Springer on the cover says your, your 2017 World Series champs. And there was a, another story that was done not long after by a guy named Joshua Green at Bloomberg, prominent political reporter. The reception, you know, fans loved that story. Astros fans did. But the people in the industry and even inside the Astros were like, what are we doing? Why are we out here trumpeting how great and smart we are when we haven't won anything yet? Um, and it was ticking people off, right? It, it's, it's just it looked like uh, felt very ego driven. And there was a soft gag order that that Crane issued. Right? Luno, for a time, just stopped doing interviews. This is why I was covering the team. Um, you know, and eventually he had to talk about different things that, that happened, whatever it was, Aiken, et cetera. Um, so, you know, Crane, the, the other thing I would offer on this, Crane and Luno both faced, faced a lot of pushback and public criticism in different ways in their prior existences. Crane had a very messy, messy public divorce. He did not like the coverage of that. Luno got some pretty negative press in St. Louis. There were people who tried to you know, basically run him out of the office in St. Louis before he gets to the Astros. And so I think both of them were a little determined, you know, to, to kind of push through resistance and you know you end up at a point where you can ask a question of all right well if you're, if you're so convinced of your own self-righteousness and um you know proper methodology well how, how do you know if you ever go off the rails and lo and behold the astros went off the rails yeah um well i, I just uh keying in on on uh, luna a little bit um i mean you, you mentioned that like crane was well, we know Crane wasn't exactly hands-on, not entirely hands-off either, but Luna, of course, he had a very hands-on approach to handling uh, specifically lineup and uh, strategy decisions. Um, was that really unique at the time compared to the rest of the league um, when he took over the Astros? Certainly that's proliferated more since, right? The, the, this, you know, sense of synergy and uh between front offices and and the the field staff right the the manager the coaches etc um I, I think the astros were on the earlier side with that I, I don't i don't know that 
if you go back to 2012 and you have Brad Mills, the manager at the time, uh, who's quoted in the book talking about his experience with Luno and the things that he wanted him to do on the field. I don't think it was truly uh, we know like like I have not read the Joe Madden book, but we know that these are things that Joe Madden has talked about. Um, and I think it's relatively common. There's, there was a sense that, you know, who's really calling the shots in L.A.? Is it Dave Roberts or is it Andrew Friedman? Um, so these issues have grown in recent years. But I think the Astros were um, early, right? They, they, they were they were they were moving the, part of the whole you know, uh, essence of the Astros was that advantage would lie in the speed of adoption and moving quicker than others. And that hurts them in, in, in many ways. They, they moved very quickly to build a, a database, ground control, ends up getting hacked into. Probably the security could have been a little bit better on that thing, uh, not to excuse a, a federal crime. But, <laughs> um, you know, speed speed was an operative um, it was a goal. They they want they felt that being in front of the pack uh, was going to create advantages, and it did in many ways. But uh, it also, when you have these questions of buy-in and convincing people, hey, we're doing things things the right way. When you're trying to move quick, um, those things are harder. And you know, the Astros suffered for for some of it. You mentioned um, uh, ground control. Um, do you think that Chris Correa deserved such the punishment that he got. Like it was, I guess, a federal crime. He got forty six months in, pr in prison and a lifetime suspension from the MLB. Did he? Did he deserve that? I don't know if it's really on me to say <laughs> what somebody deserves when it comes to a, a federal sentencing guideline. You know, he ended up uh, his sentence was reduced. He was he was let out early. He didn't serve the full mm -hmm. uh, forty six months. I, I do think it's very jarring. You know you. I mean, I even say in the book, it's it's not every day that a baseball executive is sent to federal prison, uh, particularly not for hacking into another team. So, you know, the whole incident was kind of stunning. Um, certainly the feeling inside the industry with the Cardinals, with the, the Astros really wanted it punished severely. That, that mm -hmm. Crane and Luna and the Astros were out for blood in this. Um it was an embarrassing incident for the Astros, but you know, the book goes into this. There's this whole other question attached to it of, of did the Astros take information from the Cardinals and the reporting for the book. So, so Chris Correa alleged this, he, he alleged it in, in public statements. He alleged it in court. Uh, the reporting for the book has a couple Astros employees talking about, yeah, no, we, we did have Astro uh, Cardinals information. Uh, available to us, which would suggest that there was impropriety, wrongdoing on, on part of the Astros, that they they also took information from St. Louis when all their executives migrated over. Um, and that was never, you know, aggressively pursued by really anybody, by MLB, by, uh, I have no knowledge of, of how deeply the FBI or Department of Justice looked into it. Um so that was a tricky, complicated mess, I guess, is, is the point I, I would I would leave you with on that. Um, and there's a lingering question of you know, what what else happened? You know, one thing Correa said in court was, I told colleagues, meaning colleagues at, at, at the Cardinals. Well, everybody. That's never been further explained. So who did he tell? Who knew what? 
Um, is that statement true? And, you know, the, it, as MLB often wants to do in, in the case of scandals, they tried to move on from it as quickly as they could. And that's not surprising. That's what the commissioner's office wants to do when there are scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, now, famously, I think it was it was Sig Meidel's account that he hacked into. Um, should Sig Meidel have been held accountable uh, for his you know, kind of lax password security practices? And was he? <laughs> I mean, the Astros in general should have done better with their security practices, whether it was password hygiene, if you want to call it that, or, um, you know, literally the, the, the build, the coding of ground control, it was built up very quickly and, and there was advantages to that. But, you know, even if you get away from the hacking scandal, you know, one of the things the Astros are dealing with in later years is this question of technical debt where, you know, their coding is not in great shape to, to keep evolving and be adaptable going forward. And so, they have to deal with that. You know, Sigma Dell ends up getting removed as the head of R&D. Uh, I, I, I never, that was never explained to me, and I never saw it as really a direct response to hacking. Um, even at the time it happens, Korea has not been sentenced yet. This happens in late 2015. Korea doesn't get sentenced until early 2016. Um, you know, but there, there was a sense that we've, we're, we're going to we're, we're going to change the leadership atop this really key and essential department we have here. But you know, Sig, the Astros were were still a victim of federal crime. Sig should have had better passwords. Sig is also uh, really close with Jeff Luno. This is this is one of his buddies back from St. Louis. Um, somebody that Luno has helped put in the spotlight, helped build a brand in baseball and you know one of the problems that kind of arises is that even after sig gets taken off of r&d he still has this voice and input into into luno and it's trying to still kind of sway the draft model and 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 some of the things that the r&d department under its new leader a guy named mike fast is doing um and so that probably leaves you know to kind of go back to your original question was there a little too much favoritism presented to Sigma Dell throughout his time with the Astros? Um, I think you can ask that generally. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's hard to say, I'm going to discipline you because somebody committed a federal crime, right? If the question is, should, should he have been disciplined? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't ring quite right to me. Um, should the Astros, and it wasn't Sig doing the coding on the, I mean, he, he did the models, but there was another developer there, a guy named Ryan Hallahan, who really built up the database. Should Ryan, should should Sig, should Jeff have made sure that security was better around the thing? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And so do, um, you know, security experts I talked to, I, even at the time, and, and some of that's in the book. Uh, yeah, you know what, actually, what uh, what I came away with from all of that was just how I was amazed at how bad the password security was with the organization like coming from I work for a pretty big corporation myself and we have really really strict password rules and it's uh it's just crazy that um you know an organization in in uh major league baseball would uh would not have that kind of uh security in place but um talking about Sigmaidal a little bit um I guess just curious uh, how have uh, former employees of Lunau, uh, how have they adapted the Astros model around the league? 
So like um, uh, Elias and Midell in Baltimore, uh, Stearns in Milwaukee, and so on. You know, Stearns is a little bit more his own person. You know, it, it, it's not like he got to the Brewers. I mean, it, it's actually interesting. If you go back, I remember this at the time, and you watch his introductory press conference in Milwaukee, he's not standing up there saying, you know, we're going to be the Astros part two. It, it's, it's Stearns had come to the Astros from the commissioner's office, from the Indians. He, he, uh, well, the team at the time that was you know, from Cleveland um, where he, you know, he'd worked in the front office there and he was a different guy. You know, he, he, he was somebody, there's, there's a colleague in the book who says, you know, he had the smell of success on him from the second he walked in the door and he was going to be okay. You know, even if this whole thing fell apart. So in a way, Stearns was kind of a a, a balancing force uh, for the Astros in, the, in those years. It didn't prevent a lot of – they still had a boatload of stuff go wrong in 2014. 2014, 2017 in particular are just wild years um, in Houston. But, yeah, in general, you know, the Astros became kind of the flag bearers for analytics. You get the Moneyball A's. You know, Red Sox were kind of in those early years. People looked at them. Um, you know, Theo Epstein, the Cubs a bit, Andrew Friedman, the Rays, then the Dodgers. It's not like the Astros are the only team innovating and, 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 uh, introducing analytics and, and new methodologies. They do put the spotlight on themselves, right? That there is an ego with Luno and he does, um, attract attention and, and embrace it. You know, he, he likes that positive publicity about how smart and progressive the Astros are. And so, yes, you do see across the league uh, in different ways a lot of the things that the Astros were doing. I don't think all that is attributed to the Astros. You know, the Brewers did reduce their their scouting staffs. The Orioles reduced their scouting staffs. That was something the Astros were, were ahead of the curve on. Um, you know, Kind of this pivot to video. Now that you have you know, really good data you can get from videos, people go, well, why should I pay to send a scout? to you know double it excuse me double a or whatever um you know the orioles notably tank right they 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 take that uh path again and you know i over time i've come to look at tanking as a grift it 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 is (laughs) it is a really genius bit of marketing that owners do you're convincing your fan base you should appreciate and believe that uh, me spending no money on the product you are buying a ticket to go see is worthwhile because at some point in the future, um, you know, some a couple of these players might help you. It's a cost-saving measure. Yes, baseball system does provide draft picks, but the Astros are a great example of, of the draft picks don't always work out, and you still need to build a whole team around them. You know, Mark Appel doesn't throw a pitch for the Astros in the major leagues, just made his debut last year, nine years after he signed with the Astros. Brady Aiken never signs with the Astros. That that was the other uh, first overall pick. And then, you know, Correa, Carlos Correa obviously makes it, does very well. And Bregman, who's the replacement pick for Brady Aiken, does well. But, you know, there's a chapter in the book called An Idiot Strategy, and that's a Bill James quote talking about tanking is an idiot strategy. That's Bill James saying it. It's not Evan Drellick saying it. Um, so I, I I think tanking is uh, it, it's a cost saving measure that gets uh, marketed really well 
and has become accepted by fans. And I, and I, I think it's almost too bad. You know, teams look, you're going to have to have some ebb and flow and performance. Like that's never going to go away, but the, the total dismissal of effort, like, yeah, we're just, we're just not trying for three years. This is going to, our team's going to suck. And that's good for you. Wow. That's really, you know, it's a, it's bold and, and, you got to give some credit to the owners because they pulled it off, right? They've, they've convinced people this is smart, but you know, attendance drops and it does hurt in some ways. For sure. Um, <clears throat> running out of, out of time here. So we're going to, going to ask a few more questions, but you sure. mentioned kind of the, the public perception. What can people outside of the baseball world take away from uh, the cheating scandal and, and Houston's overall uh, organizational culture? Yeah. I mean, I, I keep telling people and I, and I do believe it, like, this is more a management culture book than a baseball book, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a management culture book in a baseball setting. Do we have a few descriptions of on-field occurrences and, you know, crack of the bat? Yeah, I guess you know we have some on-field stuff in the book, but it's not much. It, it's really about how this organization was run um, in the last 10 years and, and, and even beyond. And it's a question of change management. You know, there's a guy I talked to for the book named John Cotter somebody that uh sig actually i think might have been one of the first to mention to me uh, but he's a change management expert and you know, there, there's this whole field of study dedicated to if you're trying to innovate inside of an organization what is the best way to do it how do you get a a large business to make changes um there are a lot of pitfalls that you can run into and the, the astros ran into a lot of them you know i i know the draw for a lot of people into the Astros, I see it on Twitter. It's the sign stealing stuff. And the sign stealing stuff is very compelling and the book has new stuff on it. But you know what, what I think the book delivers is, is a much larger picture. Well, how did we get here? You know, how how is a baseball team really being run? You know, and this team that everybody was saying is really smart and, and innovative, and they were in a lot of ways. But what else is going on? What else comes with it? Um, and I, you know, hopefully I think. I think the book succeeds that way, and and I and I hope people feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, early on for me, I, I did key in on a lot of the change management stuff. Uh, I mean, at the time that I was reading it, uh, my organization was doing a lot of a lot of changes, and you know, there's a lot of talk in there about uh, you know making the hard changes because you know if it if uh, if if it didn't if it felt right, they would have been done already, um, but. That kind of got me thinking a, a little bit about um, some of the changes that were made and whether um, you know they were de- like used as an excuse because there there were hard changes as an excuse uh, to make unpopular changes. But so um, with that said, if they even if they hadn't been caught cheating and and uh, and everything was exposed, um, there was a lot of conflict in their corporate atmosphere. Um, so was a messy ending like that inevitable for the Astros? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, like you already kind of saw that, right? Even before Ken and I break the sign stealing story, not long before, but you know, it, you have the Brandon Taubman incident, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me tell you, the the reporting for the book shows, you know, th- this was not some out of the blue thing that oh my god, how could anybody uh, never seen this coming? Right. There had been a prior incident where Tallman left an employee in tears and management did nothing. There was no, you know, no discipline, no that I'm aware of 
um, no stop sign put up. And so, yeah, it, it, it was inevitable, I think, that there was going to be a disaster of some sort. I think it'd be hard to sit there and go like, yeah, no, definitely they were going to end up cheating. They did end up cheating. Um, and there were cultural elements that made the environment really ripe for that. And, you know, you you see how it how the culture progresses and evolves and the different problems they run into. I, I do think the Astros were a tinderbox. Yeah, it was a matter of time till something went really wrong. Yeah. And, and because they had a lot of, well, and Jeff Luno had that uh, kind of Silicon Valley background. Um, one of the things that their model was kind of featuring was, was disruption. Disruption is a word that comes up a lot in the book. Um, in light of the cheating scandal, was the World Series title, the ultimate vindication and reinforcement of that disruption model? Sure. If, uh, you know, sports fans are very conditioned. Well, what else do you want besides the trophy? Right. This is we, we, the goal is to win, is it not? What's the business's goal? The goal is to make money, and I think the book hopefully takes people to kind of a different question of, okay, but what comes along with it? How did you get there? What did you do? Do the means to the end ever matter? And the Astros are actually kind of the most concrete example we have of the means to the end mattering, right? Because the 2017 Astros did hold up that trophy, and at the end of the day, I, I think for most people, maybe you know, hardcore Astros fans aside, people realize, well, something has superseded that, right? In terms of how that team is regarded, the memory of that team, um, you know, basically a question of, well, would you would you cheat again if you could? Um, you know, the, the problems the Astros caused for themselves by doing that, uh, did, did the benefit outweigh the cost? I don't think so. Maybe some people would say yes. Um but yeah, it it it's is the trophy all that matters, or is how you get there what matters to some degree in some cases? I think the Astros are the extreme of that. But for years, you 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 know you go back ten years, the amount of slobbering over the innovation and progress being made in the sport, there was a lot of smart things being done. There were not nearly enough people, and I'm very proud that I was one of the reporters who was actually paying attention to this. Like I was listening to other stakeholders in the industry besides the high-ranking upper management people. Going, you know, what are the other effects of this? You know, what is it doing to labor? What is it doing to pay? What is it doing to staff? What, um, you know, it's not. We're, we're so conditioned to look at it in this one prism of does this does this cheaper player uh help me win more games right and everybody gets conditioned to be their own fantasy baseball general manager and and it just it overlooks so much and and i i hope the book shows people what that kind of thinking overlooks yeah it, it, there's there's so much more than than the cheating scandal and in, in this book and and um i i think I, I mentioned this in the in the dms in twitter between you and i like it's it's my favorite my favorite book of of last year and this year <laughs> it's, no, i it's, appreciate it's, that it's it's a great great read and I, I highly recommend folks check it out so uh i'm gonna we're gonna let you go because i'm sure you've got lots more uh talking and interviewing about this book to do but thanks again for joining us um how can people uh follow you and and, and find the book yeah, I'm on Twitter, just at Evan Drellick, D-R-E-L-L-I-C-H. And, you know, the books should be available anywhere you, you get your books. You know, big big online retailers or little indie bookshops. We like it, little indie bookshops. So. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, if you just Google Winning Fixes Everything book, it'll come right up. 
Great. Evan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Okay, and we're back. So, so yeah, that was that was a, a great talk with Evan. Um, you know, he mentioned this as well for a book that the the I guess the key story is about the cheating scandal. It's interesting uh, that we had so many questions about things other than the cheating scandal. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess like there's only so much of a book that you can write about the cheating scandal itself. You kind of need to dig in a little bit deeper which uh, he definitely did in the book that was yeah, it, uh, there was a lot a lot in there it's yeah it's, it's equally uh, as much a book about corporate culture and the and the, the not the pratfalls the pitfalls that that lay with with i think adopting things like you said too quickly as it is a book about baseball um now here here's here's the essay question for you do you think that the astros should have been stripped of their world series title in 2017 um, I'm going to say no. And the reasoning behind that is uh, I don't think any of the uh, the teams that won World Series in the steroid era were stripped of their titles. Uh, and I guess you could argue it's not quite the same thing, but uh, it's it's pretty close. If there were punishments handed out for using steroids and performance enhancing drugs um, during that era um, and titles weren't taken away as a result, then, uh, then I, I think that the Astros have the same treatment. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think also um, that there was a lot of great area in how the cheating uh, schemes were enforced. And as well, there were, you know, the Astros were the most blatant team in, in, in doing this, but they weren't the only team doing it. So, so no, I, I think you're right they're, they're, They should keep their, their world series title. Uh but yeah, like we we all know that they they weren't the only team. Uh, yeah, I guess the only the that. one argument is just that just because everyone was doing it doesn't make it right that one team was doing it. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's more. I think more on the how it was in, in, enforced. Uh, so yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some uh, non-baseball things. Okay, we're back. Steve keeps on thinking he has more work to do than he needs on this podcast for this week. I'm, 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 I'm doing yeah, everything. Yeah, I can, I can do all this from my phone later. <laughs> You're just gonna upload it. Um, yeah. All right. So, so, so let's talk about some some non uh, baseball things. What, what's your, what's your strikeout for, for, for this week personally? Um, yeah. So this one, I guess it, uh, it's uh, it matches the tone of your strikeout from the baseball stuff, but. Uh, Dangerous internet trolls. Um, it, it, not the, not the trolls that you see in the recent uh, IKEA commercials, uh, living under a bridge. But uh, I I am in a uh, part of a a Discord server. Have you heard of Discord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for uh, people with epilepsy, and we talk about things and whatnot. And uh, this past week, somebody decided to uh, to come in to the channel and. Uh, uh, they posted a lot of flashing animated GIFs, oh. and uh, and it was a bit of a mess. Um, and so, with epilepsy. Not everybody is uh, photosensitive, like I'm not, but there's a few people in the group that were, and they actually had uh, uh, seizures and reactions oh, from it. So, uh, 
you know, that's, that's where the dangerous part comes from. Like, I think some people are doing it just to get attention and, and, and they think it's funny, but uh, there's actually real world consequences to these things, not, uh, not just the, the mental health aspect of it, but the, uh, the physical side. And, and if you have a seizure, you're not necessarily, uh, you know, gonna, gonna just stay in your seat. You could physically hurt your, yourself by, by falling too. So that's, that's, that is definitely a strikeout. Um, my strikeout is a little, little, little bit lighter, but, uh, my strikeout is 42nd birthdays. Uh, that's the number 42, not 42nd long birthdays. Um, now you haven't hit this yet. So, so, um, now I, I turned 42 back in May. Krista just had her 42nd birthday, uh, last week. When I turned 42, there was a catastrophic storm, the Dureco, that that destroyed my backyard. Um, less so for Krista's birthday, but we sort of had a, a bit of a storm of of, of children. Uh, the, the, the kids just went crazy. Um, Leo was definitely very dysregulated, as, as we like to say. Um, and just things, plans did not go at all to... <laughs> The way we wanted it to and it was just just mm-hmm. a, a really difficult day and I, I got krista flowers i got her an ice cream cake uh i got her i got her a birthday message from Duff Duff golden but still it was just just felt like a a disaster of a birthday so when you turn 42 you've still got i think uh, uh three and a half years to go before you hit that just be Something careful like that. be careful be careful <laughs> Um, okay, well, um, I'll go to my no decision, which is uh, starting a new book. Um, I recently finished reading uh, first my first read of the of the year. I read The Spare Man uh, by Mary Robinette Cole. It's a sci-fi uh, sci-fi update of the Dashiell Hammett story, The Thin Man. Um, but uh, the starting a new book is it's it's I had one picked out, um, and I'm. Uh, it's uh, the Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. Um, it's it's fun to start a new book, but the problem is is that sometimes it's hard to get into and and start reading uh, the new book. Like sometimes you get, you know it it takes a little bit to get sucked into the story. Uh, I am now like I think I'm about halfway through or close to it. But uh, it's uh, it sometimes I find it difficult to to go from one story that was uh, that had you turning the pages a lot to to starting a new story where the beginning is usually a little bit slower to before it ramps up. So it's it's hard to go from uh, you know fast paced ending to uh, to a new story. Yeah, you're you, to use a baseball term. It's a change of pace. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, definitely, and and also like just different books are going to have different different tempos as far as how they how they're written out. So yeah, it's definitely hard to to kind of shift gears that way. Um, speaking of shifting, uh, I, I'm going to kind of combine my error. I, I have an error and I have a shift proposal. So uh, my error this week was was um, or this past couple of weeks was shaving off my winter beard in January. We talked about last uh, podcast how I shaved my beard. Little did I know that uh, we were headed for minus forty degree weather, <laughs> so that was a bad. That was idea. only for two days. For two days, but it was. I had to be outside for for to wait for Leo for the bus. So that was not. That was an error for sure. Um, and so I, and because of this, I, I do have um, we, we, you know, baseball is going to be banning the shift uh, this year. I have a shift proposal. Um, when the t- temperature temperature fluctuates forty degrees, because we had a like zero degree weather this past week, can we like? shift that like 20 degrees kind of warmer because we could go between minus 20 and positive 20 i I think you want fahrenheit is uh, what you're looking for 
No, it's Celsius. It's still like forty degrees, like minus twenty to to plus twenty Celsius. That that's some some good. Oh, you're saying you want the temperature to be minus twenty to twenty? Gotcha. Yes, yes. I want for if we're if we're gonna shift between zero and minus forty, let's just edge that over twenty degrees so we can have minus twenty and positive and plus twenty. Oh. And, and and that that would also it would it would it would uh, save the city some money because you know like we've been we have had snow pile up, but all the snow would melt, so it would it would save some operating costs for the for the uh, snow removal. So it, it it would benefit everybody, and also it would be warm uh, instead of frigidly cold and 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 dangerously cold well climate shift might get you there then i guess yeah so i i think we just need it needs to be a little bit no sorry a lot warmer and 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 20 degrees is is doesn't seem that that too much to ask uh you know based on 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 the 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 climate we live in (laughs) yeah well i i think uh i would prefer having winter in the winter months not uh not spring and summer temperatures. Um, well, I, I will go to my home run. And I actually had something else, but uh, as as is usual, I forgot to write it down and I was going to change change what I had in there. But uh, um, my home run for the for the past two weeks has been uh, adult coloring books. Um, I, I've, I've had one like a Star Wars uh, coloring book from Christmas a few years back, and I, I pulled it out one night and, and started working on it and uh, on a few pages. And there, uh, it's uh, it's it's relaxing. The the cover of the book says it's art therapy, and I guess that's what it's supposed to be. And I I don't think uh, I mean, for a few years adult coloring books were like really popular and all over the place i think it's kind of died down a little bit but uh i i recommend them okay yeah i think krista was getting into that a little bit at one point um i'm not really great at coloring in the lines so so i'm I'm, and yeah i think that it's a little bit too much for my attention to hold on to um yeah i don't have a home run this week because i have a lot of stuff that i had on my list but my no decision uh because it kind of is positive and negative um i can see the future uh with spaghetti did you know that? Uh, that that doesn't quite make any sense, but yeah, uh, okay. because I I, I can um, uh, make Leo uh, spaghetti for supper, and I know that it's going to end up on the floor. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly seeing the future, but uh, okay. Uh, no, it's it's I'll I, allow it. I I, I I've seen I've, I've I've foreseen it, and that's I don't know what not not foreseeing. I I don't know why I, I still feed him spaghetti, but I guess I like spaghetti enough to to be okay with spaghetti on the floor. I see. Well, but yeah, I can um, see the future. I can see the future. It's it's that's just how it works. <laughs> I, I I still think that's not quite seeing it more than predicting. But anyway, um, okay. Well, I didn't have anything else. Uh, did you have any any other things you wanted to? No, that that mention? that's all I've got. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's any more huge Blue Jays news coming in the next couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, by the t- I, so I think we'll probably take another couple of weeks off, and then uh, we'll be that much closer to the WBC starting. And spring training will probably have just started by the time we come back. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll almost be clo- gearing up for going back to weekly podcasts. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, uh, I I think we'll uh, we'll see. In a, in a few weeks. All right, yeah, I've got some work to do, so we'll see everybody later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.